Good morning, everyone. Welcome to those of you here. Welcome to those of you watching online and to our church family and to anyone else that's joining us. We uh, want to welcome you to the second Sunday of Advent, and uh, I hope that you enjoyed that video. Uh, that video really spoke to me this week about encapsulating uh, what we want to talk about this morning. Uh, the, the second week of Advent invites us to focus on the peace that Jesus brought and brings on this earth, which many might say is something to be seriously doubted these days. Um, we, we could look at what's happening in the world right now and go, how could you possibly claim that peace? But perhaps we misinterpret what this peace is, seeking to understand actually through a cultural worldview rather than a biblical worldview. And so, as part of Advent, we're bringing alongside a focus of witness because Advent at its core is pointing to the witness of Jesus to a weary and broken world, and Jesus commissions all those who follow him to be his witnesses across all nations. It's out of the overflow of the Holy Spirit in our lives that flows witness to Jesus. And this has largely been lost in the Western church. And so we want to bring understanding of this peace alongside the call of this witness to Jesus in our lives. This peace that is brought to us and is to mark our lives and our practices. And understanding peace from a biblical perspective is crucial because the definition of peace in our world is remarkably different in so many respects. And, and I appreciate, that's one reason why I appreciate a, a video like that from the Bible Project. And I appreciate the guys at the Bible Project so much because of what they're doing to enhance our biblical understanding in this world. And, and so when we talk about peace, and, the, and they talked about that in the video, but peace or, or shalom in Hebrew, it, it speaks of completeness or wholeness, of, of a state of completeness. Our, it speaks of our well-being. And so as we heard there, peace is not just an absence of conflict. It's working together for the good of one another. And so when we're out of alignment with one another, shalom or arene breaks down. And so this shalom is to make complete, to restore us in our lives. And so in our time this morning here over the next few minutes, I want to look at what God says of the peace that he will bring. And we read of it this morning, uh, the peace prophesied in Ezekiel to be an everlasting covenant of peace. Think about that, an everlasting covenant covenant of shalom is what God has promised. And so we want to examine the scriptures that we read this morning for our Advent reading, and we want to contemplate how radically different this piece really is. Now, the, the backstory to Ezekiel, um, actually, I should just, uh, Shane, are we okay? I've got a blinking light here. I'm just going to, we're checking if we're live now, so. Bear with us. Yeah. This is, this is, we are live now? I mean, I think we are too. Yeah, okay, good, okay, we're back. We're sorry, hopefully, hopefully folks, you'll be able to, to join with us and find this. Um, it'll be a little bit disjointed this morning, but as Jen was saying here, as we were trying to reconnect, she was saying, obviously there's something in this that the Lord wants us to hear. And so, 
we're going to ask for the Lord's peace right now. Um, the Lord is, is in all this. So we're talking this morning about this everlasting peace as we were looking at there uh, and heard in that video. And we want to examine the scriptures that we read this morning for Advent. And we want to contemplate when we speak of this biblical peace versus what the world might preach as peace, how radically different this really is. And so I want to talk about the backstory a little bit to Ezekiel, those passages that we read, and, and how this was understood then. Because uh, Ezekiel was one of 10,000 of the exiles that was taken to Babylon in and around 597 BC. He was preparing to be a priest, we read. His father was a priest. Um, and so he was preparing to be a priest in captivity. And five years into captivity, God comes to Ezekiel and says, I want you to be a prophet to my people. And so it's interesting when you look at Ezekiel, because God had Ezekiel actually live out some of his words. If you read there uh, in the beginning of Ezekiel, he had to lie on his left side for 390 days. He lied on his left side, representing the 390 years in captivity for Israel. Like, can you imagine doing that? And then the Lord said, not only that, I, I want you to cook your food over cow poop. Seriously, that's what God says. You're, you're going to do this as a sign to the defilement of my people. And so you can imagine that Ezekiel was probably seen as a bit of a weird, eccentric. He was not very popular amongst God's people. God called him to prophesy a lot of truth, a lot of judgment, a lot of reality for his people and the surrounding nations that they didn't want to hear. And God told him very specifically, I want you to prophesy despite that all. You will be my voice to the people. But Ezekiel also prophesied about the hope that was to come. And that's the great news that we read later in Ezekiel and the promise that God would restore his people. And the scripture that we read this morning from Ezekiel 36 is part of the hope that God spoke through Ezekiel and reveals God's purposes behind this promise of an everlasting peace. And he says there, he says, it's for the sake of my holy name, not due to anything you've done. I'm going to show myself holy through you. And so God is true to himself. He's true to his holiness. And the good news for us in this is that it doesn't rest on our track record. It doesn't rest on what we have or haven't done. He says, I'm going to bring restoration for the people of Israel. They're going to be brought back to their own land. And he says, they will be a nation who will faithfully serve me and follow my ways. Now, for hundreds of years, this prophecy was understood by the people at the time as applying to the physical nation of Israel and the restoration of that nation as a world power. Faithfulness on part of the people would result in this reward from God right up until the time of Jesus. This is how the Jewish people understood this promise. And so this is why almost everyone surrounding Jesus, including his disciples for most of the time on, his, on the earth, his disciples and the people around him expected Jesus to come and that his plan was to overthrow the Romans, to situate himself as the Messiah of his people and establish a physical kingdom for the nation of Israel as their Messiah. He would bring about these physical promises. And there was a physical promise for the nation of Israel in this. The exiles did return. The temple was rebuilt. We see that with Nehemiah and Ezra. And they were released from Babylonian captivity. 
But we know that the extent of this promise was never fulfilled in Israel. They remained unfaithful and they could never achieve the fullness of these promises. But this was about far more than just the nation of Israel. This was a prophecy that spoke to the plans and the purposes of God that are just so outrageous. They are are so magnificent that it can hardly be understood in our human finite minds what God was doing. And so between the verses in Ezekiel 36 and the verses in uh, Ezekiel 37 that Daryl and Diane read this morning, there's 13 declarations of God stating there, I will. It's just all over the text. I will, I will, I will. And it reveals this plan for peace, this plan for renewal, for restoration, for wholeness, for completeness and goodness. And, and that could never and would never be achieved apart from the work of God. This was not going to rest or hinge on the people. These, these 13 I will, I wills, they include verbs like gather, cleanse, give, remove, make, establish. And they speak of God coming to be with his people. But God's people would be expanded to all nations. And that's the wonder of this promise, that while beginning with God's people in Israel, it was not just about God's covenant people. It was through them that God would bring his kingdom to this earth for all people. And the big picture is that Israel's condition is our condition. That God comes to rescue us from blindness. He comes to redeem us from lostness. He comes to restore us from brokenness. We sang about that, and Dwayne talked about that this morning. To make, God came to make us his image bearers on this earth. And I I think that there's something in us that stirs. There's a longing that stirs when we read these verses in Ezekiel. There's something deep inside of us that longs for these promises and, and a longing for this reality to be on this earth. And what Ezekiel 36 and 37 makes clear is that this is not about our worthiness. It's not about our qualifications. This is about God. And and I I want us to think for a moment about the absurdity of this. Like, just think about what we are declaring and and taking and saying this morning. That in around the year uh, 590 to 570 BC, God speaks his message to a guy named Ezekiel. He's a Jewish exile living in Babylon, captivity. He's a guy who's basically a street preacher on the streets of Babylon for 22 years. He's going around and he's telling, he's preaching these words that God is speaking to him. He's declaring them. He's living them out, right, in very vivid ways. And we believe that these words were fulfilled by Jesus 2,000 years later, or sorry, 2,000 years ago, about 600 years after Ezekiel. And they outline God's plan for redemption, not just for the Jewish people, but for all people for all time. And that right now, 21st century, Western, post-Christian, secular, humanistic, high-speed, instant gratification, Canadian culture right now, that pervades this nation, we're saying these words are meant to be the very words of God for us, revealing his plan for all of human existence and pointing to where things are heading, where things are going, where the consummation of all things will be. Is that what I'm saying? Yes, 
That's, and, and the center of this message is God's promise to establish an everlasting covenant of peace. And I would ask us, do you, do we believe this? Are, are you staking your life on this, on this promise? I am. I am staking my life that these words are true. Now, how's God going to do this? And you probably, maybe already picked up on this as we are reading through those scriptures for our Advent reading. I, I want to, but I want to spend some time this morning looking at this, these connections, incredible connections in the verses of Ezekiel and the verses of Ephesians that we read. Because to understand the fullness of what these verses in Ephesians 2 are saying, we have to have an understanding of what the word peace means and what it meant to Paul. It's also helpful to understand the context of Ephesians, that our our great, 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 great uncle, right, (laughs) Paul, was writing to us. And, and And he was writing these words that are addressed to the Ephesians, but they're actually written to several churches And it's actually a letter that might surmise uh, Paul's theology in in actually the most um, complete way in the New Testament. And remember, all of it's taken from his understanding of the Hebrew Scriptures, places like Ezekiel and other places. He's he's writing of things here in Ephesians, and he's he's bringing them into this letter uh, that he would have taught in much detail elsewhere. And so we're trying to understand this. But I want to give you an example. So the first verse we read there in Ephesians 2.13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So he's speaking to Gentiles. Those who were far away in the context of God's covenant people in the Old Testament. They have been welcomed into the family of God. Which Paul sees as originating from Israel and now moving to include all nations, all Gentiles. Everyone's welcomed in by the blood of Christ. Now behind those four words is a whole message right there. There's a whole message that Paul is bringing into like four words, into one verse But Hebrews takes chapters to unpack the depth of Jesus' sacrifice to show how by the shedding of his blood, he may have made a relationship with God possible for all of us, all peoples. And this fulfills what God was speaking of in Ezekiel 36, making his people clean, cleansing them from all impurities. So let's, let's, I want to take a little bit of a closer look here at Ephesians 2 alongside these verses in Ezekiel 36 and 37 to increase our understanding of this eternal covenant of peace for all people. Verse 14 continues, says, For he himself is our peace, our, our wholeness, right? our completeness, our restoration. There is such a depth to this word and to what Paul is unpacking here. This is far beyond just a feeling of calm or a decrease of stress or anxiety in your life. It could be that, but it is way beyond that. This is far, far beyond that. This is about being brought into wholeness. You think about Mark 5 where it says Jesus there, he he heals a little girl and he says to her, go in peace or go in shalom, go in arene and be healed of your disease. He's saying to her, Go in wholeness. Go, I, I have made you whole. I've healed you. Go. As well, in the context of this verse here in Ephesians, 
He's, Paul's saying that God, through this, this peace, through Jesus coming, he's destroyed the barrier. He's destroyed this wall of hostility. And so this is not just about the absence of strife. This is about working for the good of one another. It's not just about the absence of hostility. It's unity. Verse 15 goes on to speak of Jesus' purpose to create in himself, again, Jesus, the source of all things. He is creating in himself one new humanity, it says, out of the two, thus making peace, thus bringing wholeness, bringing restoration to make us whole. And how would Jesus accomplish this? It says in verse 16, through the cross, by his sacrifice. And what's the result? What's the result for us? New hearts, new spirits. We are new creations. The Holy Spirit is given to us. A new heart is implanted in us. New spirit is given to us. Ezekiel 37, 26 says that this will be an everlasting covenant of peace between God and his people. This new humanity that God is creating will be established and their numbers will be increased, it says there. This is about the expansion of God's kingdom. He saw this as the expansion of his kingdom. This is about multiplication within the kingdom of God. Ezekiel 37 speaks of God's servant David being king over them. Now, you can think that might seem strange. Like, isn't David dead and long gone? by the time of Ezekiel, and he was. Pretty sure he's not coming back as King David to lead his people. So this is where growing our understanding of Scripture is just so helpful. Because we know when we look at Scripture, David was from the tribe of Judah. He was seen as a foreshadowing of the Messiah that was to come. David spoke prophetically himself in the Psalms of the Messiah that was to come. The two Psalms most quoted in the New Testament over and over and over again are Psalm 8, Psalm 110, where the the New Testament apostles, they saw this as Jesus, as the fulfillment of this that David spoke of. So, and there it speaks of the the word shepherd, and it says the, the only shepherd. And the prince, the the prince that would come forever, are used here as well. Isaiah, as we saw in the video again, Isaiah spoke of this prince of peace that would come. Now, I I have no idea where it actually originated. I know it's kind of corny, but it's all right. I kind of like corny because it's true. (laughs) Well, think about this, right? You've heard this phrase where no K-N-O-W, no Jesus no peace, K-N-O-W, right? You know, you, if you know peace, you know Jesus. No Jesus, as in N-O, no peace. You know, it's corny, but that is so biblically sound, actually, for us. So Jesus is the only way. He is the only way to restoration. Verse 17 says, he came and preached peace. So, I was listening this week, I won't go too far off this, I could on a rabbit trail, but I was listening to a podcast this week on the Bible Project, and uh, they were talking about how we can take things in the New Testament out of context, and there's certain things we love to take out of context because we like to say, oh, that'll preach, right? And, and, and pastors loved it, oh, that, that'll preach good, and you take that little thing out of a verse, and sometimes we take it wildly out of context, and so they were joking about that, but this, this'll preach, Okay? Jesus came and preached. 
Now, I want to I just dig just a little bit below the surface here in the Greek because Paul is writing how Jesus came and he's saying he's euangelion arene. That's what he says in the Greek. Euangelion arene, which means he proclaimed the good news. That's where we get our world evangelism from. He, he came and he proclaimed the good news of shalom, of wholeness to a people far away and near. Jesus came. What did he do? Jesus came and he announced the kingdom of heaven. This is what my father is doing. He is establishing a covenant with people. And you, as his people, are invited into this eternal covenant of peace. And so this access means, and this is what it says here in Ephesians 2, means full relationship with God the Father. We have one Father. He invites you to be part of his work of renewal on this earth. You are brought into his household. You are family. That's what it means. We're family. There's no second-class citizens here. It, 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 again, it draws us back to Ezekiel 36, 28. You will be my people. We are citizens of this kingdom. This is our first allegiance. We are citizens of God's kingdom. And then Paul, he does this wonderful thing where he paints this picture of this structure being built that we're actually a part of. This structure that's being built, like see yourself as part of this structure. We're part of the building blocks. Jesus himself forms the cornerstone of this structure. From him, all things hold together in him. And the apostles and the prophets are the foundation that supports what's being built. Are you getting a picture in your mind here of this structure that's being built? And it says in verse 21 that in Jesus, the whole structure is joined together. Now, I want to I pause here for a second because I wonder, given the context and the flow of Paul's thought here, if he's not referring to this being the outworking and the result of this shalom, bringing us together in completeness, as Solomon did in the first temple. And that's where that, that word is used, where Solomon completed the temple and brought it into a state of shalom. Is that what God is doing now with us, with the second temple, and we are part of it? I think that's mind-blowing to think about. I really do. I think it's so encouraging. I think it's just like, it's just full of gospel truth. Because peace brings order. It speaks of all the complexities of life being brought into this state of order. So last Christmas, Samuel received a a Ferrari Lego set. It was really cool. I thought it was really cool. And uh, as we were building this thing, we remembered that he had gotten years ago this uh, small set with one Ferrari car in it that was since now in many, many pieces in his Lego bins. And we were like, oh, that would be such a cool car to add to this set, to complete this set. And so I resolved, I said, Samuel, I'll build this car. And I'm going to bring together all the original pieces. And he's like, Dad, you'll never find them. And I'm like, and we're talking about a small set, one little car, but it had very particular pieces in it. Like there was very particular Lego pieces that were for that car. In fact, there were some pieces with specific decals on them and I wanted to find those pieces. And I was bent on finding these particular Lego pieces. And I got to the place in the building where I, I couldn't find this one piece. And it was either, it got to the point of just, 
I'm like, I'm probably going to either have to buy a new piece from Lego, which I seriously contemplated, or I'm going to have to make do with a different color, which was blasphemy to me. So I was like, just make do with a different color. I'm like, that, no. And, and so that I had this tension of like fiscal responsibility and perfection. Like, will I spend shipping to get this piece? Ah. Now, the analogy breaks down here a little bit, but my intent was to bring this car into a complete state of wholeness. I had a vision. I had the picture on the box. That is what I'm going for. And I spent hours. I'm, t- I'm talking hours. I spent hours trying to accomplish this goal. I'm sure Samuel looked at me like, you're crazy. But I wanted that car in a state of shalom. And I, and I think, okay, I know I'm comparing Lego to Ephesians 2, but I think, in a sense, this is what Ephesians 2, 21 and 22 is speaking about. God is committed on doing this with his people. This is plural. This is written to all of us. It's written to the churches. And Paul's saying, Jesus is our shalom. He has made shalom, and he proclaims his shalom. Ezekiel 37 promises, I will put my sanctuary among them forever. My dwelling place will be with them. I will be their God and they will be my people. And now we begin to see the fullness of this here in Ephesians. We are being built together to be this holy temple in the Lord. God lives in us. He is with us, God with us. He dwells in us by his spirit. We are most certainly his people. And as this spiritual temple, we are called to testify to the eternal purposes of God to unite all things in Jesus through this work of peace, through this work of shalom, through this work of arene. Ezekiel 37, 28 says, Then the nations will know that I, the Lord, make Israel holy when my sanctuary is among them forever. And, and I, would, I would fully support this verse has a future reality to it, absolutely, in the new heavens and in the new earth that's to come. But this is also a present reality that Jesus has initiated and for the church to embrace. We are his image bearers. You are his image bearers. We are Jesus' literal body on this earth. We are the physical manifestation of the risen Lord Jesus on this earth. Read the New Testament. It's clear. That's who we are. And so as the renewed creation, we are totally different. Like completely, totally different. But this is not exclusive. It is totally inclusive. We are renewed to testify to the eternal purposes of God that are for all people. We're called to be witnesses to what God is, has done, is doing, and will do. And so we need to understand here too when we're reading this that this was a huge, like huge shift in the early church The Jew-Gentile debate was the massive cultural issue of the day for the church. Unity between Jews and Gentiles, Paul saw it as absolutely crucial. I mean, he got into like probably almost a fist fight with Peter. He saw it as crucial because of what God desired to accomplish in the nations. This unity had to happen. Now that's still applicable. 
God's purposes for the nations haven't changed. And so the eternal covenant of peace that Jesus brought is to be experienced, displayed, and lived out in our lives. It is meant to be effectual in our lives, radically altering, altering our lives. Radically. And so where things are out of alignment, where we experience and we live out of brokenness and we, we're walking through brokenness, and all of us are in that place somewhere. We're all on that trajectory where we are struggling with behavior and deep-rooted character traits that need the shalom of Jesus, this restoration of shalom is for us. We're meant to live out of this presence of shalom in our lives. As disciples of Jesus, as new creations in Jesus, we respond. We have a radically different paradigm than the rest of culture. Or I would think we should have, based on what we're reading here. John 14, 27, Jesus here, he's saying some of his last words to his disciples before he would go to the cross. And he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. I am giving you my state of completeness. I'm giving you wholeness. I'm giving you restoration. And then after the resurrection, John records the first thing when Jesus comes and stands amongst his disciples in the upper room. You know what he says? Peace be with you. Shalom. I'm here. I'm complete. I'm whole. And I'm leaving this with you. And then again, in fact, in case they didn't get it, he says again, again Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. This is not just about feelings of calm. This is not just about a release from anxiety or stress. This is about the whole counsel of God bringing an everlasting peace to his people. Do we understand the work of shalom that Jesus desires to bring in us and work in us? An eternal covenant. And he's sending us. We are his representatives. We are his witnesses. And so where you are placed, wherever that is, you are placed to be an image bearer of King Jesus. Risen, exalted, Messiah King over all things who is bringing about his kingdom. You're his image bearer. And I was, I was thinking this week about this how radically altering this peace, this understanding of peace can be for us. You, you will read scripture differently with this understanding of peace. And so what God is inviting us to embrace amidst a world that is starving for this type of peace. We, a world around us, people are starving to understand this type of peace. From who? Jesus' image bearers. And so I want to leave us with some very simple application this week. First question. Where am I currently lacking God's peace in my life? Will I ask the Holy Spirit to work in me? Second question. Where or how can I be one who displays peace to those around me? And number three. How can I ask God to use me to offer his peace to others. 
And I want to invite you this morning to, to receive Jesus because he is the prince of peace. He is the prince of shalom. It begins with receiving Jesus and saying, Jesus, I want to follow you. I surrender my life to you. I want to, I want to read something here that um, I, I saw from Daryl Johnson. Uh, he posted this. He's a, he's a pastor, author, teacher. And I, I want to I read this because maybe we, at first we won't get it, but I think we'll see what he's, what he's getting at. He says, I feel sad at Christmas for lots of reasons. I know many people's hurts and have my own. But I mostly feel sad because I realize how few people have received the Christ child. My heart breaks when I go shopping and hear carols over the loudspeakers and then see hundreds of people who don't believe a word of it. Though I feel great sorrow during Christmas, I can still rejoice in what Christmas is all about. God so loves this fallen, violent world that he sends his only son that whoever will receive him can be freed and adopted into his family. And that's what we're invited into. We're invited, and I want to invite every single one of us to say, Jesus, I receive you this morning. I surrender my life to you. I give you control. And I want to seek to live in your shalom and follow your way. And that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Let's pray this morning. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful. Our, our gratitude cannot even be expressed in words how grateful we are for your shalom that you have brought. Where we were broken, we were separated, we were divided. We had no hope in this world, it says in Ephesians. We were without God, but we have been brought near. You have welcomed us into the family of God. You have invited us into this wholeness, into this state of restoration, into this state of completeness. And you say, peace, I leave with you. And so we receive that this morning. Jesus, we, we want to receive you and everything that you are for us in these days. You are our shalom. We thank you for that. We are so, so grateful. We pray this in your wonderful, powerful, and everlasting name. Amen.